Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you or answer any questions you might have about our church out in the courtyard. Uh, we have a gift for you if you're new and also for everyone. We have uh, Christmas cards from the pastoral staff and uh, a staff photo for you. And so it's just a way to say thank you and Merry Christmas and for you to see the better looking people in our families and uh, see the people that we live with and uh, cherish. And so hopefully you'll take one of those, uh, a gift from us to you. Also, after this service, we'll have a family business meeting to approve the annual budget for next year and go over some church business. So all are invited, uh, but only those that are members vote. So uh, hopefully you'll keep that in mind. And then mark this down last week. I, I, I might have been confusing. So for Christmas Eve, it's on a Sunday, right? No church Sunday morning. So if you show up at 8.30 or you show up at 10, no one will be here. Okay? Christmas Eve is the celebration. And so we have our regular service times for that. So just make sure you know that on that Sunday, Christmas Eve, that's what we're doing. So come celebrate with that. Get here early. There's usually a lot of people, and we love to celebrate and sing. And just remember, your seat might be taken, and that's okay. So, uh, but we would love for you to join us with that. And then last thing, if you're, if you're looking for something to do uh, to help and reach out to those maybe in need or less fortunate, on the day uh, of Christmas, Christmas morning, we do what's called Joy of Giving. Uh, we go and sing and spend time with uh, elderly people who don't have anyone to spend the holidays with. And we pass out stuffed animals and we talk about Christ and we love them. And so if you want to be a part of that, um, you can just ask the welcome booth out there or go online and figure out how to participate. Uh, but I know people often look on how to do that during the holidays. So uh, that's an opportunity for you to do that. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right in uh, to our sermons. Here we go. Dear Jesus, we thank you and we love you. Uh, that your word, it teaches us, it equips us, it unites us. I just pray your words uh, would just impact our souls and our hearts and challenge us to love you, to take seriously your words here. We're thankful for these accounts that teach us um, that we can learn at the expense of others, that we can see uh, failures and success and guide us to how we can follow you and love you in the proper ways. So we just pray your word would just bring us so much joy, and bring us so much uh, love and fervor to follow you more. And so we just pray for your words and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 16. And the, what is happening here is so, there's so much there. And so my prayer for you is that you would kind of be able to answer one question, just one question uh, at the end of the sermon, but don't answer it right away, okay? It's something you have to deeply think and deeply, profoundly connect the weight of the answer of the question. And so the question for you this morning, is there anything better than following Jesus? Do you truly believe there's nothing better than following Jesus? Because that's what's going to be set before Peter, and before you answer that, the, the reason you need to consider is I think so often we just jump to, well, heaven, I go to heaven, I'm loved. Yes, that's true. But in the meantime, between now and then, there is the cost of your dreams and your hopes and your desires. There's the giving up of that. And then there's the cost of being rejected and maybe hated and persecuted. 
not loved. And so on both sides, you have the shattering of dreams and the cost of following. And at the end of that, would you still say there's nothing better than following Jesus? Because I think that's the, the, the core question that Peter is grappling with. Because there's what his idea of following Jesus is, and there's what Jesus presents to him as a reality of following Jesus. And so as we walk through this, uh, the reason I posed it that way is that I think last week, you know, when we talked about Peter, he comes to this grand conclusion revealed by God that Jesus is son of God, right? He's God, son of man, he's the king. And he is Christ, he is savior. That God reveals, so Peter comes to this great insightful conclusion. And then we go a few verses down and all of a sudden he's confused. But here's what I hope to do is I want you to walk through this with me and I want you to see that Peter I believe he's, I don't think he thinks Jesus is dumb. I don't think he thinks Jesus forgot. I think he honestly really believes that he knows what the plan is. Okay, so let's walk. So we've transitioned, verse 20, they've declared, you know, who is Jesus? Jesus warns them, hey, don't go share this with everybody. And I think the reason he says that is they're still putting it together. Who is Jesus and why did he come? So then he now, verse 21, he goes and he starts to share with them. From this time forward, he starts to talk about the crucifixion, the resurrection, right? So he tells the disciples, I'm going to suffer many things. So right away, you're like, whoa, king and suffering and the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, raised. So if you're Peter, you're hearing this. And so I think what Peter does is he has an emotional reaction. He's like, wait, what? You? No. Now we pick it up in 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. This is an interesting juxtaposition, right? To have two things put next to each other. Your God, whoa, 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 Jesus, I think you forgot who I just told you you were. You're God, you can't suffer. You're the king, you can't die. And so this, this would be my contention is that I think Peter truly believed he was in the right. I think Peter truly believed, no, 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 you're here for a specific reason. We read the Old Testament, we know there's a promised king that would sit on David's throne and he would rule and reign and the nations would come and bow down and he'd bring peace and the government would be on his shoulders. And so I really think Peter is looking at this and saying, no, 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 Jesus, you can't. You have to sit on the throne. So here's my question for you. Is it a bad thing that, that Peter really wants Jesus to be in charge of all the nations? It's not a bad thing, is it? It'd be like if Jesus came and visited us and we're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, I got this great idea. You should be the president. It would fix so many problems. We could quit fighting over all these. If you just were in charge, everything would be so much better. You would feel, that's a true statement, isn't it? So in Peter's mind, he's like, you sit on the throne. You rule the nations. That's what has to happen. And if you die, that can't happen. That can't be. 
Now, I want you to see, Peter uses strong language. He says he rebuked Jesus. He wasn't like, hey, Jesus, have you ever considered that maybe, maybe you're tired, maybe you're hungry, maybe you're just not thinking right, maybe you meant to say this. Is that how Peter approaches this? No, a rebuke is a strong disapproval. And so what I think is he just gets told something and he's boom. Jesus, no, 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 you can't do that. You ever do that? You ever speak before you thought? This is why James tells us be slow to speak, quick to listen. And so he doesn't think about, okay, he's God. He knows everything. He's never wrong. Oh yeah, I'm going to go tell him he's wrong. That's not what happens here. And so I want you to think through this. Okay, you're making a grand case here. Okay, think through this with me. We're going to think through the garden really quick. They're in the garden. You read this account in John, John chapter 16. And so you're, John chapter 18, sorry. And so you see Judas come and he portrays Christ and the centurion guards come. What does Peter do? Grabs his sword. What is he? He's like, now's the time. Let's go. Now's the time to take it. Let's fight. And he cuts off the ear. Jesus restores it. And he says, do you not realize if I wanted to be saved, I would have brought down a legion of angels. You go to Acts chapter 1-6. They've seen the resurrected Christ. He's walked with them. He's been with them. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. We get it. You paid for the sins. You saved the, right? You're the lamb to take away the sins of the world. You're the one who came to fulfill the law. So now, now, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because what is on the front of their minds? In the throne, in charge, nations bow down. Get rid of the oppression, get rid of the wickedness and the idolatry and the corrupt emperors and put him on that throne and start getting this sucker turned around. And you read verse seven and Jesus is like, the father knows the time, meaning not yet. So when you look through that body of work, Peter, I think is well-meaning in his desire, is he not? He truly wants this and he truly desires that. But here's what we have to catch is good intentions don't equal God's will. Just because we feel like it's right, just because we feel like there's no other way, just because we in our sensibilities and, and in our rationalities and in our, in our deep feelings come to the conclusion it has to be this way. So many good things, so much positive things does not mean that it's of God. If anyone I think had his heart in the right place, but not the right action, it's Peter. Is it wrong for him to want Jesus on the throne? No. But where he's wrong is that he tells God, no, 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 Jesus. It should be like this. You can't do that. This is where you get the idea or the phrase, you guys ever heard this? Good intentions pave the way to hell. Just because you're well-meaning doesn't mean you're following Jesus. 
And Jesus is about to walk him through, rebuke him, and say, you know what, Peter, if you really are going to follow me, this is actually how it's going to happen. And so it starts with a well-meaning, well-concerned rebuke. And here's, what, here's the, the turn we have to make for ourselves. There's an old axiom that goes like this. Action determines destination, not intention. What does that mean? I could have all the intentions in the world to go to Huntington Beach. It's my favorite beach. But if I drive east towards Arizona, all the intentions in the world will not get me to Huntington Beach. The action has to be west and south towards that beach. Meaning, you can have all the best of intentions of the world, but if you do not have the right action, you will never reach that destination. And so for Peter, where he goes wrong is he takes action in the wrong direction. He takes action. No, Jesus, it can't be you. Can't be you. And so as we think through some of the things we think are amazing and the things we hold dear, the question we have to ask ourselves, does that really line up with what God wants? Is that really what God says? Is that really what God promises? Because for Peter, he has the right idea, but he has the wrong time because Jesus will sit on David's throne and he will rule and he will do that. Look at verse 17. He says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and he will repay each person according to what he has done. He's like, Peter, I will take care of it. I will make all things right. That time will come. His action was wrong. He didn't trust Jesus when he said, I have to die. I have to die. I have to raise. I have to pay for the sins. I have to do that. And so as we think to ourselves, have we ever been well-meaning, but absolutely wrong? And how does Jesus approach Peter's well-meaning, but absolutely wrong conclusion? Let's pick it up here. Verse 23 but he turned to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's not our favorite words, are they? That's not often how we picture Jesus, is it? You know, in our culture, we'd be like, he's really mean and semi-oppressive. I think he should really change his tone. But this is Jesus. This is the severity of what Peter is saying. Get behind me, Satan. He actually rebukes him. He has a strong objection and strong disapproval towards what Peter has done. Even though he's well-meaning, even though he has the right idea, Jesus is going to sit on the throne, but he has the what? Wrong timing, wrong action. You don't tell Jesus no. So he walks through that. You are a hindrance to me, for me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, so let's think through this. What does Peter have his mind on? And let's contrast things of God, things of man. In Peter's mind, he's saying, Jesus is going to sit on the throne, but what are the 
consequences of that? What are, what, are, what are the actionable items of him sitting on the throne? Who do you think will be there with him? Peter, ruling and reigning over the nations. There will be peace. There will be comfort. There will be power. There will be notoriety. For who? For Peter. What are the things of God? That God would be glorified. That God would be seen as good. That God would be seen as the one who enacts justice and enacts peace. Meaning his timing, his peace, his promises. And so when we think through these grand plans of ours, who gets the credit? When you come to church, when you give, when you're nice to your wife, when you're wife to your, nice to your kids, when you're nice to your coworkers, what's the driving motivation? Is it so that you would be seen as nice and kind and you'd be seen as great and invitable and relatable and seen as a good person? Or is it so that people would see that there is a good God whom you serve and whom you love and whom you act like because you love and you serve? This is getting at things of man, things of God. See, the things of man orient us towards, well, this is comfortable. This is comfortable. And so I might never say anything hard. I might never disagree with someone. I might never tell them that God's word doesn't say that because that's uncomfortable to me. But I come off as nice and kind and sweet, but I never tell them the things that will hurt them, end them, and destroy them. Ultimately, that's bad. Things of man. Our dreams. I want to have this beautiful, right, family, life, job, look, feel. So everyone can look and see how great and amazing, and I can look at it how great and amazing. And who gets all the glory and who gets all the credit? I do. And we look at our kids and we look at our families and they need to turn out like this so that people will think I'm a good parent and they will praise me because they're a reflection of me. He says, got to look at this. He rebukes him for thinking on the things of man and not thinking on the things of God. Peter's trying to enact justice in his timing. Now, God's saying, no, my timing, later. He's saying, my glory, my plan, my promises. You love me, you follow me. And so when you think through this, Peter, right idea, I would even say maybe right intention, but ultimately he's wrong because it doesn't align with what God wants him to do. And then he says, Peter, you need to understand this. Verse 25, or sorry, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What is he getting at? He's saying, Peter, if you follow the ways of man, it will blind you and you will lose your own soul. That's the next verse. He's saying, Peter, the essence to follow me is to deny all of those well-meaning, good-intentioned dreams. Deny yourself and follow me. Peter, in your mind, you're going to Rule and reign with me. 
You're going to have comfort. You're going to have power. And you're going to have a seat to all that's going to happen of justice and all the things. It says you need to deny that dream and follow me. And if you, what happens in the life of Peter? It's persecuted, crucified, rejected, not loved, gives the first sermon, all these things. Peter, you need to deny those dreams and follow me. Pick up your cross, pay the price. Because Peter, verse 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. What is he getting at? What is he getting at? He's saying, Peter, if you pursue all of this for you, you will completely lose me. Why? Because Jesus said he came first to die on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is rebuking him because he's going against the things of God. Because Peter is pursuing his dream instead of denying his dream and following Christ. Instead of accepting the words, the son of man has to go, live, die, and resurrect. Saying, Peter, do not go down this path. You will lose everything. Deny those dreams. Deny those ambitions and follow me. What profits you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Let me posit the question another way for you. Would you rather, right, your favorite Thanksgiving Christmas game, would you rather have a child that works in Walmart but loves Jesus or a doctor, lawyer, engineer that's an atheist? It's a piercing question, isn't it? Would you give up those dreams of notoriety and success to have a child that maybe doesn't fit your dreams but loves Christ? Would you rather have three different forms of cancer and have Jesus or perfect help, health, leap over tall buildings, run fast and be an atheist? Would you deny all of those dreams and follow Christ? Now, it's not saying it's impossible for you to be rich and healthy and love Jesus. But if he were to strip away the health and the wealth and the notoriety, would you say, take it, Jesus. Take it, lose it, Jesus. Take all of it. I will follow you. This is what he's getting at. Will you lose everything and follow him? Will you deny the ambitions and the dreams and the goals? Pick up that cross and follow him. And so as you ask that question, you know, what's that idol that maybe gets in your way? What's that idol that blinds you as Peter was blinded? For some of you, it might be non-confrontation. You don't want to say anything to disagree, anything mean, because that person might not like you, might not love you, might not want to be with you, might not respect you, invite you, hold you in high esteem. 
And so you bow down to being wanted and being accepted at the expense of doing what Christ would call you to do. For some of you, maybe that's money. You work and you work and you work and you work, and it is so important at the expense of Jesus. For some of you, that might be comfort. You don't want to do anything that's hard. Anything that's hard, make it easy, make it simple, be nice, people be nice to you. For some of you, it's fear. For some of you, you know, it's what comes with being loved and accepted by the world. And this is his point. I want you to catch this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You see, these idols we hold up, we feel like they will somehow give us meaning in life. They will give us purpose in life. They will fill the deep ache inside of us. Maybe you were raised, you know, in a very demanding house. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to be better than my parents. I'm going to be different than my parents. And that motivation drives you. And in an effort to be better than the generation before, you keep trying and trying and trying and working. And you're never good enough. You're never better enough. You're a slave to it. And what Jesus is getting at, in the process of that pursuit, you lose your soul. Because you are trying to gain it through a means that was never meant to gain. You're pursuing a false Jesus. It's the same with your career. If I could just have this much, this benchmark, then I will be complete, will be whole, will be safe, and then you get there. And it's not enough. Have we not seen the documentaries on Netflix and Hulu and all these things of people, football players and businessmen and great people? With the rise comes what? The fall. At the very peak, they say things like, I've never felt so alone. I've never felt so depressed. I've never felt so confused. Why? Because they literally have everything they could ever want and they literally feel more empty than they ever have. Because what Jesus is getting at is the only thing that can fill that ache in your soul is me. If you try to build that perfect family, because you're like, if if people see those kids are amazing, they'll see that I'm amazing. And if they see I'm amazing, I'll be loved and I'll be accepted. One of two things happens. That kid begins to change and do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. So then what do you do? You change because you can't have them be doing something wrong. So you make everything they're doing right so that no one could say you're a bad parent. You're like, no, 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 that's that's not wrong. That's okay. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Or you just walk away from Jesus completely because you want to keep that relationship. To follow Jesus means well-meaning, well-intended dreams must die. Because it might cost you everything. So then the question comes back to the front. Is loving and following Jesus the greatest thing you could ever do? Is there anything better than loving and following Jesus? Because Jesus gives this command, pick up the cross and follow me. Because if you try to save your life, you will lose it. If you try to get your spouse to be the one who brings you value and meaning and wholeness, they will never make you complete. And then you know what happens? You resent them 
because they can't make you feel special the way you want to feel special. And so people resent their parents, they resent their spouse, they resent the world because they cannot give them the satisfaction that they so desire because the, what they desire is to be made right with the holy, righteous, perfect God. And the only way you can do that is through the perfect payment of Jesus' blood and flesh on the cross. So this is what Jesus is telling him. Look, Peter, Put your mind on the things of God. Peter, stop pursuing saving your life. Peter, pick up that cross and you follow me. And Peter, I will make all things right. Don't you worry. I will come back. I will judge all things, but you pick up that cross and you follow me. And it might cost you everything. Some of you are like, Pastor, you're stretching this a little bit. I'm glad you guys said that. Let's go to John 21, 18 through 19. I want you to pick up, I really think this is the essence of what he's telling Peter. Okay, let's look at this. Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Save your life. You were in charge. You picked you did. You decided. It's the way it used to be. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow what is he getting at? Peter, you thought things of the world, things of man, that you were going to be a part of sitting at the throne and ruling and reigning in power. No, 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 no. You're going to stretch out your hands, crucified, and another man is going to dress you, and you're going to die for my glory. Things of God. There's extra biblical literature where they, they've kind of pieced together that Peter was probably persecuted in Rome and that when he was set to be crucified, that he said, no, 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 you need, to, you need to hang me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner that Jesus was crucified. And that's extra biblical. I don't know that that happened, but I do know that Jesus tells him he's going to be persecuted and he's going to die. And, and by the stretching out of hands, it was probably by crucifixion. He was getting at Peter. You need to deny this dream that you have and follow me. You're not going to be at the throne with me here. You're going to preach the first sermon. You're going to be the rock on which the church was built. You're going to preach to the nations. You're going to preach to the Gentiles. You're going to be hated, rebuked, mocked, crucified. And there's nothing better than following me. That's your destiny, Peter. That's where you will go. So when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, it's fine to have these dreams of the perfect family and be the lawyer, be the doctor, have the money. That's fine. But will you with open hands lose it all? 
because you have found yourself in Christ. It's fine to be healthy and whole and strong, but if God says, I'm going to give you cancer, and I'm going to give it to you because I want you to show the world that you love me more than you love your health and your circumstances, it will bring me glory. Minds on the things of God. Lose your life. Gain your soul. Follow Christ. This is what he's telling Peter. Your death will glorify me. Because what, what benefit does it have for you to be crucified when all you have to say is, you're right, Jesus is a liar. Jesus didn't really do that. He didn't really rise from the dead. He's not really, I renounce him. That's all you have to say. But when the world sees that you will not change and you will not capitulate, you will take severe pain for my name. It glorifies me. Things of God. So that's now the question that we have to ask. Is will I deny myself, lose myself, and follow Christ? whatever the cost. Are you willing to have conflict maybe in your marriage, in your parenting, in your family, because you will not waver on what God says? Are you willing to have penalties weighed against you at work, in the legal system, in friendships, because you will not stop following Christ. Now, here's the question, because there's a cost-benefit analysis. Perfect health, but you're an atheist. The benefit is health. The cost is hell. Is it outweighed by the cancer mid-level income person that loves Jesus, benefit heaven, benefit forgiveness of sins, benefit the world cannot destroy you because you have Christ. You see, what makes following Jesus better than anything else you can do is that as the world is stripping everything away from the disciples, they keep following. Paul's singing in prison. Peter's singing in prison because they can take it all, lose it all. I've gained my soul. I've gained heaven. The ache inside of me is whole because I've been forgiven by the Father through the Son. So I can lose those relationships. I can lose that material. I can lose that notoriety. I can lose paying back that injustice done to me because God will repay that justice for me. Whoever loses his life, gains his soul. So now the question still remains, will you state there's nothing better than following Jesus? Here's an exercise for you to follow. Okay? I want you to find an old person in here. You don't have to raise your hand if you're old, okay? Just look for the people with gray hair. First service told me also bald people, but I don't believe all bald people are old. But anyways, Here's why I'm saying that. Here's why I'm saying that. Here's the question I really want you to wrestle with. Why is the old person still here? 
because they know there's nothing better than loving and following Jesus. They've done the career thing. They've tried to make the career be their mantle and their passion and their identity. And they've realized it never lived up to the billing. It didn't fix my marriage, it didn't fix my health, and it didn't make me whole. They've worshiped their kids, been let down by their kids, worshiped their spouse, been let down by their spouse. They've lost, they've loved, and they know there's nothing better than loving and following Jesus. That's why they're still here. Right, old people? There we go, okay? You found some. You found some. I I tell you that because I want you to know I'm not just making it up. Not just making it up. It is hard to understand the depths of what I am telling you from Scripture unless you have met someone in the eyes and they look at you and they say, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than being forgiven of my sins. There's nothing better than loving him more than I love my spouse or my kids or my health or my money or my fame or my safety or my fear. There's nothing that completes me, satisfies me, nurtures me than Jesus. There's nothing better than that. When you look someone in the eyes, and you ask them that question, and they give you that answer, you go, okay. Okay, maybe. Maybe I will deny my dream. And I will pick up my cross. And I will follow. Because I truly believe that there is nothing better. And I will trust, verse 27, the Son of Man will come, and he will make all things, all things right. He and his angels and his glory and the Father He will repay each person according to what he has done. He will repay it. You can let that weight go. You can let that sense of justice go. The Father will make it right. You will follow to the ends of the earth, no matter what the cost, because there's nothing better than following loving Jesus. And then he concludes, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Kingdom will come. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as we get into the transfiguration next week. So some questions for us to to conclude. Why is Peter so confused about Jesus? I think there's really, there's two things. There's one is he has his mind set on his dream for Jesus. There's what he thinks it should be. And there's what Jesus says is going to happen. And he's having a hard time reconciling them. And rather being quick to listen and slow to speak, he was quick to speak, slow to listen. He just reacts, no, Jesus, no. He's confused because he was so tied to his plan, his timing, his thing. Two, how can you identify with the up and down nature of Peter's relationship with Jesus? This is something I think is very positive for us to think through. Because one minute he's, you are the Christ, Savior. You are Son of Man, King. You are Son of God, God. And then the next minute he's like, Jesus, you're wrong. You can't do that. How does this happen? And then he's denying Jesus. And then he's giving the first sermon. Because it's a process. It's a process of realizing that was my dream. I need to deny my dream. And I need to follow him. And sometimes your dream will be from him and they'll align and that's great. And then there's going to be times when it's like, yeah, that'd be nice, but that's not the plan. It's not what Jesus set forth. So you see that in Peter. 
You see that in Peter. He's the rock which the church will be built. And then he's denying Jesus. And then he's preaching the sermon. And then he's not being correct around the Jews and not loving the Gentiles. He gets rebuked again. And it's part of how it happens. Three, what do we learn about Jesus when he rebukes Peter? Even though you're well-meaning, if it goes against the well of God, it is wrong. Doesn't matter how nice it is. Doesn't matter how pleasant it is. All the excuses, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's only hurting me. I'm not killing anyone. Well-meaning. It's not what God said. It's wrong. Jesus rebukes him strongly, sharply. Here's what I want you to catch. That's actually the loving thing to do. What you're doing is not going to satisfy you. Peter, if I go through with your plan, I don't go to the cross and pay for the sins of the people. That's a bad thing, Peter. You don't know what you're saying, Peter. Don't say that. Don't say that. It's bad to go against the will of the Father. Is wrong. There's not this middle category of wrong, right, and well-meaning nice. There's God's way and everything else. Wrong. Okay, next one. What area of your life is hard for you to deny and follow Jesus? You know? Well, one of the things I think here is, is maybe what you see in Peter is a little bit of entitlement. I, I, I gave up my profession. I left my family. I've watched you get laughed at and mocked by the Pharisees and the scribes. I've been laughed at. I've slept on dirt. I've been hated. I'm entitled to see the kingdom. Right? And we do the same thing. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I pay my taxes. I don't have an addiction I drive a Dodge Stratus. I have all of these things. Do you know who I'm entitled to this God? And it's like, no. Whoever tries to save his life will lose his soul. You're entitled to nothing here on earth other than the benefits and privileges of having Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're never alone. He's always with you. Heaven is your home. The church is your family. The Bible is your compass. God is your father. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Those are the promises of scripture. What area in your life are you like, but no, God, I, I deserve that. I need that. I have to have that. It's the thing you need to start going to God and say, may I lose it. Be willing to lose it. And maybe he lets you keep it, but it stops being an idol. Here's the thing about idols. They will bury you because they cannot hold you the way that Christ holds you. It will bury you. You will be a slave to it. Question five, what does it mean that you try to save your life, you will lose it? It means you will try so hard to fulfill this dream that you will give up all the things of Jesus, all the things of scripture to meet it. And in the end, it'll leave you lacking, crushed, and empty. Because all you want is that picture, whether it's your career, your family, your spouse, whatever image you're trying to create to make you whole, you will work and work and work and you will be a slave. 
and it will not fill you and it will not help you and you'll just keep trying harder and harder and harder and you will lose your soul because you will go to no end to fill that hole in that way. The only way to find your life is to say, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Whatever comes, comes as long as I have Christ. So the question remains, do you truly, truly believe there's nothing better than following Jesus? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you and we love you for the gift that is Jesus. We pray that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our minds, that we would lose everything to follow you that we would set our minds on the things of God, that we would not be a hindrance to what you're doing here, that we would find our life by losing everything for your glory and your good. The people would see us and say, man, you must love Jesus because you will lose everything to love him and follow him. You love many things, but you love nothing more than Christ. I can see that in your life. That's our prayer, God. That's our prayer. Help us love you and uphold you and follow you at any cost, by all means, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.